have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16, or you can follow along on your smartphone, or you can follow on the screen, whichever you prefer. And I would uh, just like to welcome back all our Nicaragua team that just got back. Thank you for working with uh, King's Castle kids. They had a, I saw the video, it looked amazing, looked like a lot of fun. And then we had a group of men go to Charlottesville yesterday to work with Resurrection Church. They bought, it's about a church, it's about a year old, they bought an old building, and our guys went over to help demo and reconstruct. So uh, we're impacting and influencing, and, and then uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, but then there's a group, have we already said it? There's a group of us going to RFK Royal Family Camp starting today. The kids will get there tomorrow. I'll tell you about it in a minute, so just hold that thought. But we're in a series called Big Church, and it's Big Church. I named it that because church is a big deal, and we do series mainly because I don't like just to talk about one topic, but to build on the topic. So hopefully that it will stay with you longer and it'll mean more. And, and our key verse, or our theme verse in this whole series, we shared it last week, the week before, we'll share it next week, this week, is found in Matthew chapter 16. And, it's, and it's, it envelops or it's around where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they respond, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're, you're somebody that's come back from the dead. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, his name was Simon then, but he, he responded, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And if you are born again, this is, you might not have said it just like this, but this is what you declare, that you are my Christ, you're the Messiah, that's what that word means, you're my savior, you are the son of the living God, I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth, that, and and Jesus responds because, I mean, that was not of Peter. Peter wasn't good enough to say that. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. That, that's a God idea. That's a God thought. And you, I tell you that you are now going to be called Peter, which means Petros or means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And some people get this confused and they think, well, there, he's going to build the church on the back of Peter. And though Peter was a key leader in the New Testament church, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church on the confession of what you just said, that I am the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, I, I'm gonna, and he said, church, you know, uh, we, we have a piece of property in Mosley that eventually we're going to build on for that campus out there. And Jesus was not saying, I'm going to build another campus or I'm going to build a building. That that's not what he was talking about. It wasn't buildings. It wasn't hierarchy. It wasn't a place. He was saying church, meaning a movement. I'm going to build a group of people that are rallied around one specific cause. And that cause is that none should perish. They're going to give their life. They're going to give their time. They're going to give their energy. They're going to give their focus to seeing people born again and living for Christ. And now these, and, and nothing's going to be able to overcome it. This movement Satan can't stop it. The government can't quelch it. It's going to move forward. It's going to build momentum. It's going to get bigger and larger and greater and stronger. And it's going to, it's going to turn the world upside down. And these disciples are thinking, how is that going to be? We're just ordinary guys. We don't have any extraordinary gifts. We, we don't have any specific anything. And so Jesus responds in Acts 1-8. And he says, I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how this movement is going to be pushed forward. You're going to receive power. You're going to receive dunamis. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's an infusion. Uh, uh, there is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's an empowering by the Holy Spirit. And can I just say, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an aura. He's not mystical. The Holy, every prayer that you pray, it, the need is more of the Spirit. Well, I don't understand the Bible. You know what you need? You need more of the Spirit because he's your teacher. I'm down in the dumps. I don't know how to make this. You know what you need? You need more of the Spirit because he's your comforter. I want to witness to my friend, but I'm afraid. You need more of the Spirit because he's your empower. I mean, everything. I, I, need, I need to know what to say on the job site. He's your teleprompter. He'll tell you what to say. The Spirit of God, he, he, he stretches us. He leads us. He, he guides us. He gives us wisdom beyond our knowledge and power beyond our strength. And gifting beyond our ability. And so Jesus says, look, I'm going to build this movement of people. They're going to be rallied around this message that none should perish. I'm going to fill them with my spirit, and they're going to be witnesses. They're just going to tell what they've seen and heard. They don't have to be the judge, the prosecutor, the defense lawyer. All they got to do is declare what Jesus has done in their lives. And they're going to spread this, this message, this movement is going to go to Jerusalem. And that's right where they're at. It's going gonna, it's gonna to influence that city. It's going to go to Judea, which is the region. And you got to know when Jesus said that, the average person never traveled more than 30 miles away from home. And so when he's saying Judea, they're, they're going, how's that going to happen? What, how, how's that going to take place? And they're going to go to Samaria. And they didn't even like Samaria. And they hated Samaritans. You're talking about prejudice and and, and barriers that were set. See, Jesus, he was for everybody. He wanted every racial tension to be brought down. I'm going to send you to Samaria, and they're going to get saved, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Jesus, do you know how big this world is? Jesus, you don't even know how big this world is, but this movement is going to spread. It's multicultural. It's multi-generational. It has no boundaries. It's going to go all over the world, and in Acts chapter 2, the first day of the church, Peter gets up to preach right after the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people get saved. A day later, he's on his way to the temple, and this guy is lame from birth, and, and, and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. It causes such a commotion, and people are gathered around. And so again, Peter takes an opportunity to, to share the gospel. And you know what? He, every time he preaches what he said, Jesus lives. And you saw it. We're not, we're not talking about two years ago, 20 years ago. We're talking about two months ago. You saw Jesus. Some of you were there when he broke the five loaves and the two fish. Some of you were there when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. He, you, you, some of you were there when they, when they falsely accused him and when, and when the governor was going to give up Jesus, but instead everybody shouted Barabbas. You were there. You were there when, they, when he carried his cross uphill. You were there when the lights went out. When he was on Calvary, and it was, it was dark from 12 to 3 in the afternoon. And when the earth shook, and when the rocks split, and when the temple veil rent from top to bottom. You heard, some of you heard the centurion, the one, the Roman soldier that put Jesus on the cross, say, surely this was the Son of God. You heard it. And then on the third day, he was, he was buried. On the third day, he resurrected from the grave. And he appeared to over 500 of us. And, and, and here's the reality. You put him on the cross. You did it out of ignorance, but Jesus did it out of his divine, God did it out of his divine plan. And if you'll accept Christ, he'll forgive you of your sins. And if you'll, you'll follow God, you can be reconciled to the heart of the Father. And so on the second day, 2,000 more people get saved. So before it's all over, they're, they're in just a few days, there's 5,000 people not including women and children. And this thing is moving, the movement is growing, and the key characteristic that describe this New Testament church was boldness. 
It was courage. And you remember last week I told you, if you weren't here, but I told you baby steps for courage. Boldness is saying something when it's easier not to say anything. Boldness is saying something when, when, it, would, when it wouldn't hurt not to say anything. So, so somebody left last week, and on the way out, she stopped me and said, hey, a same-sex couple just moved in beside me, and I had planned on just kind of ignoring it. And instead of ignoring or judging or condemning, I'm baking a cake today, and I'm taking it over to their house, and I'm going to introduce myself to them, and I'm just going to start to build a relationship. Why? Because courage, boldness, is saying something when it's easier to say nothing. This guy by the name of St. Francis, he's credited with this, with this remark. Some of you might be familiar with it. He, he said, share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And I understand that. I, I understand that, that we're to live out our lives. You know what he's saying? Live such good lives among those that you interact with that they see, that they see the glory of God somehow in you. That you respond differently to challenges. That you act differently in situations. That you, that you love differently. That you, you do things differently. Uh, here, an example. There's a lady that's just been diagnosed with cancer. And so I called her this week, and she's about to go through her treatments and get started on all that. And, and, and I just called to encourage her, and I said, how are you doing? And this was her response. You know, I've got a problem, and my problem is cancer. But my problem, cancer, has a bigger problem, and his name is Jesus. And I'm believing that Jesus is going to heal me and take care of me and watch over me. I thought I was encouraging her. She encouraged me. I was like, why don't you just pray for me? You're so full of faith. But that, that's a response that a watching world, and I don't mean she's going to be, she's probably going to have her ups and downs and her questions and her doubts, but she's full of faith right now, and, and it's a response. And I, and I understand what St. Francis is saying, but I think, I think it's hurt us in a way, because you just can't live a life. You got you to gotta open your mouth, and that's what the Bible says. I remember, okay, just live a life. I remember in high school, I was a pretty happy guy. And it was because of Jesus. I gave my life to the Lord at an early age. And I, I kind of grew up in the church. And many of you know my story. I mean, I just, I was excited. I was pretty passionate about serving God. Not perfect by any means, but, but I loved the Lord. And I would walk through the, highway, the, the hallways and, and I would, there was always, I would sing or whatever. And people would ask me, why are you so happy? What's going on with you? And you know what my response more often than not was? I guess I'm just a happy-go-lucky guy. That's not courage. That's living a life, but how does anybody know the reason is Jesus? Because it's not enough. You gotta live your life, or it doesn't give any 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 count. It doesn't give any uh, baseline for you to share your faith. But you gotta open your mouth, and that's what that's what Jesus said. You're gonna be my witness. You're gonna you, no witness stands on the stage or on the seat and shuts his mouth. They're there to tell the story. Here's what Jesus said. You're gonna go into the entire world. And share the good news to everyone, everywhere. It, it's not enough. Though you got to live out your life. But it's not enough. To, you got to open your mouth. The church, this movement, was built, it was built in, uh, and pre established on the fact that, that people were going to open their mouth. And they were going to witness. And they were going to share. It was, it was predicated on the, on the idea that the individuals in this movement were going to share their lives in such a way. They were going to build relationships with others. And, and when the opportunity arose, they were going to say something when it was easier to say nothing. And they were going to open their mouth and testify about the love and the grace and the goodness of God. And the movement 
has continued because there have been some bold people that have done that. Here, here's several years ago. Michael was two. He's six now. So four years ago, we were at a soccer game with Emily. And, and it was a big weekend tournament. There was probably 17 fields on this one site. I don't know. Probably multiple, multiple acres. I have no idea how many acres it was. Big, big fields. Big, big complex. Probably 2,000 people were there to watch their kids, players. Where everybody was there. And uh, so Micah was behind me. I was responsible to watch him. I gave him a soccer ball. He was just kind of dinking around with it, doing whatever he, he does. And I got really engaged in the game and got kind of caught up in what was going on. And Angie came over to me and said, where's Micah? That's my wife. Where's Micah? And I go, he's right behind me. He's playing with that soccer ball. And she goes, he's not there. And, you know, at first I was frustrated. There he goes. He's making me miss the game. What, you know, what's going on? But it shortly turned into terror. Because when I turned around, he was gone. I looked around, there's nowhere in sight. And, you know, your mind just starts racing. Your heart starts pounding. This is a predator's daydream. I mean, any, any pervert could come in here and sneak, uh, just get in here and take a kid. And, and I'm thinking I'm never going to see him again. And Angie's going to kill me. And I'm just, I mean, I, my, my, I'm just, I'm, I'm wigging out. And, and the, we tell the guy that's kind of in charge, he's on the golf cart. He's got the walkie-talkie, so he must be in charge. And we tell him, and he shuts the gate. And they start letting everybody know there's a missing kid and parents start walking with me and what seemed like an attorney probably was was not very very long but I looked up and here comes Micah a dad a parent has him by the hand and he's walking him to me and he gets him to me and you know when you've lost a kid you don't know if you want to kill him or hug him or you're just you're you're just stressed and and wigging out and I said Micah are you okay you know I'm thinking he's you know he's been affected he's going to ruin his life forever and all he said was daddy ball Daddy ball. Michael, are you daddy ball? What had happened was he got that soccer ball. He had kicked it three fields over and was sitting on the bench of another team. He didn't even know he was lost. He didn't even know he was in danger. How many of our friends and family members don't even know they're lost? They don't even know they're in danger. And then I didn't find him. Somebody else found him. Somebody took time, missed some of their girls' soccer games. Some say, went on a search, went looking for him, and they, and they brought him to me. And all I could say when they got him to me was, sir, thank you. Thank you. You just saved my life, and you saved his life. Thank you. They, and you, you know what? One day I'm going to stand before God, and my prayer is that I've lived in such a way that, that, that people have been attracted to Jesus, and my voice has said something that's maybe led them to the Lord. And, in su- and you know what the greatest reward when I get to heaven is going to be when Jesus says, Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for not overlooking somebody. Thank you for for investing in somebody's life. Thank you for opening your mouth. Thank you for saying something when it would have been easier to say nothing. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Thy good and faithful servant. See, our our motivation, it's not enough. Yes, you have to live your life, but you also got to open your mouth. And here's our motivation. Not just because God told us, though, that is the overarching motivation. Our motivation is people matter to God and they should matter to us. That's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world. The, that, that word, the, the world has many different meanings. One is cosmos. It doesn't mean that God loved the planet. Another word is, is people. God, God, for God, so, a better translation, for God so loved people that he gave his only begotten son. There's a story in Luke chapter 15, really it's three stories, but it's in the context of Jesus 
sharing and talking and investing in some people that were not church people. And the church crowd was getting mad, and, and, and they were like, he claims to be the son of God, yet he's hanging out with them folks. And Jesus finds a teaching point, and so he slides over a little bit more, and he says, there was this shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and one of them got away, and he left the 99, and he went and found the one. And when he found it, he put it on his shoulders, and he brought it back to the pack, and he called all his shepherd buddies, and they threw a big party because one sheep was lost, but now it's found. And then I think he took a breath and maybe took a step closer and said there was a lady who had ten coins, and one coin went missing, and she turned the house upside down looking for a coin, cleaning, cushions, I mean, turned the place. She found the lost coin. She called all her coin-collecting buddies, and they threw a party because that one coin was lost, but now it's found. And then there was this boy who got a little too big for his britches, and he thought he could do life on his own. And so he, his daddy gave him his inheritance early, and he went out and sowed his wild oats, and he ended up in a pig pen eating pig slop. And he came to his senses, and he said, if I go home, maybe my dad will treat me like a servant. So he gets up from the muck, and he begins walking home. And the dad's been sitting on the porch just like he has every day since the sun has left, looking, anticipating, praying, longing, waiting for the sun to come home. And when the sun crests the top of that hill, the daddy hopped off the porch, ran to him, embraced him, hugged him. The son started saying, Daddy, I'm so sorry. Daddy, I'm so sorry. The daddy said, Stop it. You once were lost, but now you're found. Go tell everybody we're going to Outback. We're going to celebrate what God has done in your life and in your heart. What, what, what are those three stories about? What, what are they talking about? What's the, what's the point of them? Something of great value went missing. Here's what Jesus is saying. Lost people matter. They matter. Man, he cares about your career. And he cares about your, your promotion. And he cares about your deal. But at the heart, at the core of who God is, he cares about lost people. He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want any. You know, the Bible says that he's not, he's not uh, uh, short concerning his promises, that God keeps his promises. But yet when it comes to the return of Christ, he's not done it. And, and, and it's almost like in 1 Peter, there's a conversation with God and Jesus. Okay, God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. And, and God says, no, 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 you can't go yet. There's somebody that doesn't know Jesus yet. There's one more person that's going to get saved. I, I'm going to be patient towards that person because I'm not willing that any should perish. When so, and everybody matters. It, you've, not crossed, you've never looked in another person's eyes that aren't valuable to God, regardless of race or education or lack of religious background, whatever. They're valuable in the eyes of God. And that which was missing warranted an all-out search. When the lost sheep, the guy went after it. Lost coin, the guy went at, the woman went after it. The lost son, there was some restraint because he wanted to teach his son a lesson. But when he crossed that hill, there was, a, there was a reunion. And when the lost thing was found, there was a celebration. When the sheep was found, they threw a party. When the coin was found, they threw a party. And when the son came home, they threw a party. You know what Jesus says? There's more, there's more rejoicing in the presence of angels when one sinner comes home. You know, when I said yes to Jesus, when I said, Jesus, you're my Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, all heaven stopped, and there was a celebration, and the cake had my name on it. Why? Because I matter to God, and so do you, and so does everybody else in this world. And because they matter, 
to God. They ought to matter to us. They ought to matter to us. Here's what Jesus said. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Because when you follow God, he's going to make us fishers of men. And our motivation is because people matter. And they're the only thing that will last throughout eternity. Here's our method. Come and see is more effective than shut up and listen. And I just want to take away all the... You got all the stuff that you think you got to know, like, 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 why, how did it, why did it only take seven days to create the world? And is that seven 24-hour days or is that years or what does all that mean? And I mean, you don't, if you want to study that, fine, but, but, but the deal, come and see is more effective than shut up and listen. And here's what I mean by that. In John chapter four, there's a story of a lady. And again, you got it. She's a Samaritan lady. Back in that day, men don't talk to women and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Jesus goes out of his way. His disciples go to get food. He kind of makes his way because, I mean, there's a divine agenda that Christ has. And he sits down at this well where he knew this lady would come out to dip her bucket to feed her animals. And a conversation begins. And, and, and as the conversation goes on, uh, she's like, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And he responds by, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And I'll give you water where you'll never thirst again. You know what, Jesus? I can fill the hole in your soul. If you'll, if you'll ask me, if you'll come to me, I can fill your emptiness and your hurt. And he said, go, go, go get your husband and come back and I'll tell you all about it. And she said, I'm not married. And he goes, I know you're not married. The, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. Every, every barrier that might have been erected, woman, Samaritan, adulterer, Every barrier, Jesus broke down. He walked through. Why? Because people matter. They matter to him. And they have this conversation. And, and she goes, this is what she does. There's an encounter that she has. She goes back. She leaves her water jar. And the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see. You know what she was saying? I, I can't explain it. I can't tell you. But come, I, just come and get in the presence of God. Come be, come sit around him, around his feet. You, you know what this kind of signifies or symbolizes to us today? In, invite people to the house of the Lord. Because uh, there is a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? Just get him in the presence of God. Here's, here's what, you don't have to know the four spiritual laws, though that's good. You don't have to know the Romans road, though that's good. What you got to do is build a relationship with somebody. Live a life that's attractive to unbelievers. And then when it's easier to say nothing, say something and tell them about what Christ has done in your life. And then say, come and see, come and experience, come and, and be a part of what God is doing at the place of my worship. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. Go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that my house may be full. You know, I, I, we went to the movies not long ago and I don't like anybody sitting beside me. And because I don't, because they're close and you touch, and it's just, I'm, I'm, I want to watch a movie. I don't want to be worried about some person beside me. I like it to be spread out. And now, you know what they do at restaurants? They're putting the tables closer together. Have you noticed that? They, like you go out to eat to be alone and be romantic with your wife, and there's some joker boy slurping on his drink and biting into a hot dog, squirting off. I mean, he's like right beside you. Like, what is that? You know, so I've decided when I sit down, the first thing I do is just kind of slide the table over. 
beside me because I, I don't like it. I, I go out to get away from everybody. But you know what about church? God doesn't want that seat beside you empty. That, that, he wants it to be full. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But we, if we got room, we need to be, if we're followers, we're fishing. My grandfather was born in 1917 to, a, to the son of a cotton sharecropper. They raised cotton. When, when my grandfather was seven years old, his mother died and left him a widower with five, with five kids. That hard, he had to drop out of the third grade so that he could come work on the field. We called him Grandpa Charlie was his daddy, maybe the meanest man I've ever met. I mean just hateful, spiteful, vengeful. He, he was hard on them kids, mean to them boys, just a really, really hard life. When my grandfather was 17 years old, no education, going nowhere fast. He was invited by a friend to a, they called it a Bush Harbor meeting. It was the evangelistic crusade. In lower Alabama, they would put up this tent, and they would, at, they would invite all the community to come out. My 17-year-old grandfather, the son of a cotton sharecropper, went to that meeting, and he listened to the music, and he got in the presence of Jesus, and he heard the message, and for the first time, he realized that Jesus Christ could forgive him of his sins. And he walked down to the front of that little makeshift altar, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And for the next seven decades, eight decades, he pursued a walk with Jesus. Not perfect, but he pursued it. My grandfather had five kids. One of them's my dad. They're all serving the Lord, living for Jesus, involved in their church. Those five kids had 13 grandkids. They're all serving Jesus, living for God, been presented with the gospel. Those 13 grandkids have 25 great-grandchildren. They're younger. They're all under five. But there's going to come a time where they're going to have an opportunity to respond yes to Jesus. And I, I, I tell you, my, my, from my grandfather on, we, we're not rich, but we're blessed. There has been a blessing upon our family, and I can only accredit it to the grace and to the goodness of God. And I can only thank that boy that invited my 17-year-old grandfather, a, a nobody, somebody that didn't make anything, wasn't headed anywhere, invited him to a church service, took, this is what, he took him, maybe not by the hand, I hope he didn't take him by the hand, but he took him, and he brought him to that meeting, and he introduced him to Jesus for the first time. And that boy, way back, way back, is changing generations still, because he was he was willing to say something when it was easier to say nothing. He was able to tell my grandfather, come and see what God is doing and experience it for yourself. My wife Angie will be married 25 years this November. The love of my life, the, father, the, the, the mother of my children. I'm so blessed to have her and to, and to do life with her. When she was 13 years old, she was in a home that, that was... I mean, maybe religious, but not Christian by no means. And a little girl in her class invited her to a church camp. And she agreed after begging her mom to let her go. And on second, third night of that camp, she gave her life to Jesus. She went home. Eventually, her mom and dad got saved. Her extended family started getting saved. I had the privilege of burying, uh, doing the, the funeral for her grandfather who later on in his life 
gave his heart to the Lord. What is that? It's a 13-year-old friend that, that instead of saying nothing, said something. And generation after generation are being changed because they were just willing to say, come and see. Come and see. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's not a problem with the harvest. And see, we, we like to judge. Well, nobody's listening. Nobody cares. There is more, there is more of a spiritual hunger today than there's ever been. There, it, there is not a lack of harvest. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is the harvesters. And that's why Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. That's you and I. Our motivation is people matter. They're the only thing of lasting eternal worth. Our, our, our method is, no, don't sit down and shut up and listen, but come and see what, what God is doing. And our message is, I once was lost, but now I'm found. See, here, here's, it's John chapter 9. John, this man was born blind, and, and Jesus comes along, and I'm not, I'm not promoting this. I'm not saying do this, but he had a mud ministry, and he got some mud, and he spit in it, and he, and he slapped it on the man's eyes, and, and all of a sudden, the man could see, and people started to wonder. We've known this kid since he was little. He, we've seen him begging. What happened? And he said, I don't know. All I know is this guy by the name of Jesus came by, and he put some mud on my eyes, and I once was blind, but now I see. And the religious leaders say, that can't be happening. Jesus doesn't even honor the Sabbath. There's no way you could be healed. And the man bowed up a little bit more and said, I don't, I don't know what you think about Jesus. I don't care what you think about God. All I know is just a few days ago, I couldn't see. I sat by the road. I was begging. I've never been able to see a cloud or an animal. I've never been able to, to see a, the, a person. I've never been able to see anything. All I could do was hear. But Jesus comes along, and he touches my eyes, and I can see everything 2020. I don't know what happened. I just know God has transformed and changed my life. I don't know about you, but I've lived on both sides. I've lived for myself. And I've lived for God. And it's so much better living for God. He's made my life better. And he's making me better at life. There's so, and all I got to, my message is, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's our message. Because of Jesus, my sins are forgiven. He who knew no sin became sin for me. Because of Jesus, I, I don't have to live and walk in guilt. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, I can live in power. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because of Jesus, I can live out my purpose. Because he has created me in Christ Jesus to do good things. Because of Jesus, I can experience peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Because of Jesus, I can overcome fear. Because he's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because of Jesus, I can trust God's promises because he's working all things for my good. Because of Jesus, I can experience abundant, overcoming life. Because Jesus came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Because of Jesus, I can receive eternal, everlasting life. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is worth having. And that's worth sharing. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me, will you? Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. He, with your heads bowed again and, and, and don't check out. 
But you know what our problem is? Our problem is sin. And, and the problem is we all have it. It's everybody's problems. We were born with it. We, we can't be good enough to get rid of it. We, we, we can't, our good works can't overshadow our bad. We, we blow it. We have blown it. We will blow it. And sin disconnects us from God. And so if, instead of leaving us on, us on our own, God sent his son. Somebody had to pay the price for my sin, and it was Jesus. And he stretched out his arms, and he took the beating, and he took the pain, and he died so that spiritually I could live. And on the third day, he resurrected from the grave, which gave him the power to forgive me and gave him the authority to lead me. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart knocking wanting a relationship, wanting to deal with the sin issue, wanting to give you everlasting and abundant life. And our response has to be, Lord, I believe. I believe. And I want to follow you. If you're, if you're ready to deal with your sin issue, if you're ready to allow Christ to be your Savior and desirous of Him to be your leader, I want to lead you in a prayer. It starts with a prayer. Well, everybody, will you stand up with me all over this place? I need Jesus today. I need forgiveness. With your heads bowed and your eyes shut, so I know who I'm praying for. Will you just lift your hand real quick? Will you join those five or six that said it in first service? I need Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? You put it right back down. Anybody in the balcony? I need Jesus today. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. Thank you. Put it right back down. Anybody else? Thank you. Put it right back down. Anybody else? I need Jesus today. Several people have raised their hand. This is the start, not the end, but the start. Right where you're standing, I would pray this. Lord Jesus, I realize today that I need you. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be my Lord? Will you be my leader? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I thank you today that I'm yours and you're mine. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those that have said that, that encourage, raise their hand when it's easier to say nothing, have said something. And I pray that your spirit will bear witness with their spirit that they are now children of God. And Lord, from this day forward, they will pursue a relationship and a walk with you. That they will go after you. And Lord, as they search for you, they'll find you as they search for you with all their heart. Lord, I pray the same grace that saved them today would grow them and mature them and help them in the things of God. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what the Bible says? The angels in heaven have stopped to rejoice, and we rejoice with them today. Lord, thank you for saving, helping, coming alongside. Here's my, here's my challenge to you. There's seats empty beside you. There, and if we need more seats, we'll go get more seats. We'll add a service. We, we got plenty of room. 
Not because we want to fill up this building, but because there's people that are lost and don't even know it. Who, who can you bring? Who can you invite? Who can you invest in? Who can you sow into their lives? Who can you be bold enough when it would be easier to say nothing to say something? 